No problem. Oh, good morning, guys. You're outfit Thursday. What's up? We're live. Good morning. How are you? Cass, you and me. All right, what's up? Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's been going really well. We've been checking the numbers. You guys have been doing awesome. Even had some people buy some hats, which is cool. Um, thank you, Internet and Baseball. Uh, we appreciate it. Today, Cass and I just wanted to have a quick chat, uh, an update on the situation of where we're at <clears throat> um, and where we're going. So, Cass, you have some cool things that you want to bring up. And yeah, update. well, actually, let's, in, in the vein of where we're at and where we're going, um, you know, as these restrictions go, I think it's going to be pretty soon that we're going to be able to do some sort of in-person training. Um, and so if you are some of our people in San Diego, I think it's closer than, I think it's real close. So I'm excited about that. I think it's just learning what the precautions need to be. Um, I talked to Raj from Synapse the other day and he's, he's a family of doctors. And um, his stance was basically that um, as long as you're doing, you know, taking all the precautions and setting the tone, um, I think this is going to be really easy. So for the people that are watching, this is going to be, you know, a lot of it is on on you and respecting the the things that we have to ask people to to do, you know, just to the hoops that we're going to have to jump through to make this a safe environment. So obviously it's not, it's not best case scenario, but it's, it's a better case scenario. So anyway, just, we, we don't talk too much on it because it's always still up in the air, but that's kind of where we, we've been at. So you have anything to add to that, John? No, um, we are chomping at the bit just like everybody else. Um, but unfortunately we're in an, in a gym and you have to, you have to abide by the rules. So, um, we're excited about the upgrades and how we're doing. I think we talked about, um, uh, limiting hours, uh, and we're going to be sending an email with procedures on how we expect everybody to show up at the gym. And, um, we're going to have to change a little bit of our format. Um, to try to be a little tighter on time because of the regulations that we have to follow. So, um, but that being said, like we still got baseball to throw. So we still got pitch logic ball. We still got, you know, um, we've upgraded uh, the gym and the screens and uh, the way we can uh, operate there. So, which is exciting. Yeah, man. So, all right. So, Speaking of getting better at things, um, so I have been, um, I mean, anybody that knows me at all knows that I've gone to therapy in the last year and done a lot of work on myself, just think, you know, listening to every single second of Jordan Peterson that I can, and then also expanding beyond that. John is a big Joe Rogan guy. Back when I was delivering pizzas at Regent's Pizza, I think I listened to freaking every, every episode of Joe Rogan for about three months this past year. Um, so it's really just like in the vein of personal development um, as a coach, but also just as a human being. And so anyway, uh, a good friend of mine just introduced me to the Enneagram test. And I've done the Myers-Briggs in the past. And I think I'm like an ENFJ. And I don't, I don't remember all of the, the different things. And I know that Peterson reverse, refers to the big five and um, anyway, it didn't, it's not that it didn't occur to me to like bring this into the baseball world. Um, it's just that I don't know that I don't know how people do it all the time. So anyway, um, so I was having a conversation with Caden Farrell today, John, and I'm like, I sent him the same podcast that I had sent you. Um, it's Brene something. I should actually know that, but um, Brene, there's a podcast, B-R-E-N-E, I think is her name. Anyway, um, 
Oh my gosh, sorry, I got sidetracked on how I spell her name. Who am I? Who did she? Oh, Caden. And so Caden um, is our remote training client from Minnesota that's been kind of with us since I moved here. And um, he's immediately like, oh yeah, I took the test. I'm a one with a nine wing. And then I was like, oh, do you know your parents? And he knew his parents. And then like, okay, I'm this. Well, and then I just sent this to my friend and they were like, yeah, you can't actually be what you think you are. So I, I need to do a little bit more research, but the implications here are pretty big. And, and where I was just talking to John about it is um, obviously from a player standpoint, you know, if you had a good idea of what you were and then how you interact with the different um, kind of personality types, you know, you can, this is, I literally just took this test in eight minutes, you know, um, and that's not a very hard thing for you to ask your team to do. Um, obviously, this is going to be geared towards a lot more of the high school and college age kids. Um, but as a, as an adult, if you're a, a youth coach, you could be you could have a better understanding of your own personality and understand how the test works and be able to identify what people were. So the whole reason why I got it started with Caden is because I'm like, this dude's a one and it's not even close. And the ones are the perfectionists. And um, I, I don't know all of the other ones as well, but um, it was just cool to do that. So yeah, man. Um, hey, John, have you ever done a personality test? No, I haven't. It's, I mean, when you sent me that the other day, it was interesting that, um, what they were saying. I only listened about 10 minutes to that podcast, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm interested to check it out because like you hear me say, I'm a robot sometimes. So, well, and then what's funny is John and I always talk about how, how much um, we're kind of yin and yang and, and feed off each other. And it's like, gosh, I don't know that I could be more emotional <laughs> at times. And then, so it's funny that we have that balance, but, but at the same time, I want to be able to go further into it, you know, cause you know, some of the times the solutions that John gives me are going to be from that robot place. And then some of the solutions that I give John are going to be from that emotional place. And, and there's probably a better way for us to communicate that. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the the prospect of that. So yeah, right now I'm thinking like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. The, we're getting to the, the back end of this whole COVID thing. And it's like, dang, we're, we're really starting to see the silver lining on all of this of getting away from it all. And you know, creating some space between the the training and yeah. So that's something that I'm thinking about. Um, yeah. Anything to add to that idea? Um, well, I, you know, you said something uh, um, a couple podcasts ago, a bunch that uh, um, you pitched your personality. And um, I guess the thing that always resonates me with me in pitching is like the ability to be in the moment and like nothing this just singular focus on the game and the strategy and the more I've played the game the more I've like become more emotional inside the game and it's become more fun so it's interesting how that works you know because there's no more there's no more fun to me than sport as far as emotion and because the competitiveness is the best part. And, and uh, I think that's what we try to teach our kids at the gym are, you know, the, the pitchers that want to stand like back shoes or from the mouth or off or Mariana Rivera looking like a statue, you know, or, you know, Carrie Wood looking fired up, Roger Clemens looking fired up, Chapman fired up. You know, there's so many different ways to play the game. And I feel like that a lot of people pigeonhole people to act like they've been there before or don't celebrate or, 
you know, and um, I actually had a debate with my father-in-law the other day about this because uh, he was, he was, uh, I, I, I was playing a game um, with the family and I think I won. And then uh, I had, I kept getting beat in the game. And so when I won, I jumped up and ran around everybody. I was like doing windmill arms, like a soccer player. And they all thought I was crazy. And I was like, and I said something like, you're allowed to celebrate. And they were like, yeah, but that's too much. I'm like, well, see, that's subjective. It doesn't really matter. I was just joking around. You didn't even understand that I was doing a reference. You thought I was just like showing off. But it's just, you know, there's a weird stigma with celebrating um, in baseball. But in almost every other sport, like completely encouraged. I I remember watching an Urban Meyer uh, um, thing on HBO. And he was talking about how he, they practice celebrating. That's like a thing. They literally practice like how to jump, do little back bunts to each other because they're going to do it anyway. So his point was, well, let them have fun. Number one, and two, you don't want to tear an ACL or roll an ankle. You got to figure out how to like land, you know, because idiots over here don't know how to land soft and control their body. And, and uh, that's how you, you know, you lose. But if you at least have a plan for something that you're doing, you can have an exit strategy or be able to control the situation. So, right. you know, it's, it's um, like I said, it's interesting. Do you, who well, do you think? And, and, that, go ahead. What? What? No, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I, you, I don't know. I was, it just hit me that I, that I was going to say, uh, like, who do you resonate emotionally as a pitcher in the big leagues? Like, who do you feel like embodies oh. you as a person? <laughs> um, gosh. I've never even thought about this. You know who? I, okay, this is funny. The first person that I thought of, but it's not, is Zach Grinky. But I'm not. Um, I just have that weirdness, that goofiness. But um, man, it's it's gotta be somebody that just a little. I don't know because because as you were talking through it, um, in high school I pitched a lot different. And like if I was gonna pitch, like if I pitched on your team, I don't know what I would do. Um, because you've introduced this idea of like being able to have so much fun, um, but then know how to have that on switch and what my, my, like, so I was always pretty good, but when I took it to the next level was when one, I didn't want you to get a hit period. Like I wanted to throw a perfect game every single time. And, and then it was that I knew, yeah, yeah, um, I, I actually, was I told I hadn't relived this moment in forever. I basically walked through my college career um, with somebody yesterday, and my um, my my like I'm arguably my best game ever. I threw a one hitter against St. Thomas, who's always like they were top twenty in the country for sure, probably top ten at the time, and we ended up getting swept. We threw we gave up three hits that day and got swept. Um, but I, my face was just just melted and and that's how i always describe it is like when i am in the flow state or when i'm in the zone i go down and so everybody knows my personality i have so much energy and like i've found a way to um to just channel that in a way that is so much different than a a lot of other ways that i execute things and i've alluded to this in other ways because last year john you told me like i i have that ability in games and i don't always project that into the rest of my life Um, but it's so specific, you know what I mean? It's like, think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of just like this one exact thing. And so like, if I'm not doing well, like that me consciously thinking about it right now is never going to be superior to 
the, the years and years of practice that I've had, you know, so I don't know. It's different. It's, it's definitely different. I will say one more thing that I, I remembered what I was thinking. Um, it's that I told Caden's mom, cause she was, uh, he goes, yeah, she's crazy about the Enneagrams. I'm like, uh, great. So I was, I texted her right away and I said, his homework is to see if you can figure out what I am. And I'm a four by the way. And that just means she said, it's like very individualistic. And I go, yeah, weird, right? I'm a trumpet player and I'm a pitcher. Like I love being on an Island by myself. And like trumpet players are notoriously like very, like not, I mean, you have to, everybody knows who the lead trumpet is. Like it's always the melody. It's always the high notes. It's always like, it cuts through the whole entire band. And so if you suck, everybody knows that you suck. And when you suck on the mound, there ain't no hiding from that. And it's so funny how um, that has never scared me. And it's always like the thing that scares me is not preparing enough to be ready for that moment. But even if I'm in that moment, like if I hadn't prepared, it doesn't matter because I can still, you know what I mean? And a lot of people, you know, you talked about, you know, you pitched your personality, but you also, as that coach, you need to recognize that, um, you know, especially at the, the little league where I was thinking is like, when you have kids on the mound, right. They are raw, raw emotion, right. Every single one of them is just like, Oh, whatever emotion happens to them happens to them. You know, what 10 year old is in control of their emotions. So then as the adult, if you can identify, you know, a, a general sense of the differences in the personality types, even if you could just like think about it in three, like make, make up your own scale. This kid's super extroverted, this kid's super introverted, and this kid's in the middle. And then just like have three different strategies. I don't think that that's that crazy. Um, and it's also not something that you ever hear people talk about. You know, you hear um, when, you know, I've gone to that what, last, I think last year was my fourth ABCA twice in Nashville. Yep. And every single year you hear people talking about the mental game and you hear about Ken Revisa, you know, the godfather of the mental game in baseball. And like Ken Revisa is just like, I mean, in the, in the scope of things is just like brand new and, you know, psychology has been going on forever. People have been going on forever. And this goes back to as long as humans have been alive and whether it's like, whether it's, uh, you know, current up to date, um, psychological like tests, like we're talking about, or if it's just like you go back to the texts, historically religious, like all of the things, these themes are always coming out, right? We know that there are different kinds of people and that we all tick a little bit differently. And now we're just in a time and place where we can actually name it and kind of put things in boxes. So I don't think it's, um, you know, I don't think we're, I'm saying anything that that's new. I'm just saying that I don't know that, um, I think that we can, I think that in general, this is something that we can just start the conversation with. So that's really all I'm trying to do is just be like, hey, this is kind of where we're thinking. I don't know where it's going to take us, but it's going to be curious to see, um, yeah, how, how the more formalized I get at understanding it, um, where it'll go. So, yeah, you bring up some interesting points um, because I, the anxiety that goes into failure and the potential to fail in baseball is almost overwhelming at times. And, and I can't imagine, you know, uh, a kid, I, I was in high school, I was never at, I never got that attention, right? I never got that level of like a Hunter Green or someone to there and, and like being able to process all of that attention is just 
crazy to me. You know, Dude, like that, their that whole podcast, they ended. brought up, they brought up, they go every single time I see uh, a 12 year old, 15 year old, whatever in the Olympics, like the rest, the next 70 years of their life is going to be like trying to make, like trying to be that like in front of millions and millions of people. Like, how could you ever, ever like match up to that? Um, and so like my, my swim coach in high school. Um, so Linda Hoffman is the, the swimming coach at Minnewaska area high school in beautiful Glenwood, Minnesota. Uh, the women's and um, swimming and diving is not the most popular thing in West central Minnesota. And so she, we didn't have a male coach, especially for diving. We had a male coach for swimming. Um, Jesse was his name, um, but he didn't know anything about diving. So Linda would check in on me like a couple days a week. And um, anyway, point is, is a huge swim coach, like been just loving it for years. And she just posted a, the video of Michael Phelps talking about his depression during this and how this has been literally COVID has been the hardest thing that Michael Phelps has ever dealt with. It's like, that's unbelievable. That dude has been like, what, what? Well, he, how many I, gold I, medals another, uh, thing. I think it's like a thousand. <laughs> a thousand. <laughs> I heard it was a thousand. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I saw something that that was on him um, way back in in the Olympics and stuff, and he talked about it. And he talked about how um, his favorite place is in the pool, but that's because it's also like his mind is doing something, and it's away from people. And so he became obsessed with training because it was like the only way he could be at peace because when he got out of the pool, he was such an introvert with everything. So, you know, he felt like he had to do some therapy and some things on the other side when he was going through all that press stuff for everything. So, it was, you know, it's overwhelming. I can see it too, you know, like to me, you know, the level that I've gotten to down in Mexico, uh, you know, I never intimidated, but I think it was the, the lack of, of language barrier and understanding, you know, because, they weren't going to throw me in front of a camera and ask me a, you know, a bunch of stuff in, in Spanish. You know, my Spanish is okay, but not enough to be like, you know, I would, I would look like an idiot on there. So they would do it in English and stuff and then have a translator. And that was good, you know, but you know, the, I always talk about the, the exponential growth of like the number of fans that I threw in front of and how like eye opening it was like, you don't, you don't understand what it's like to be in front of 60,000 people until like you're one of the people on the field instead of one of the people on the stands. And so it, it just changes your whole aspect to how the game is played because, you know, I remember giving up a hit and it was, you know, it wasn't really a strong hit, but like the reaction of the crowd to the hit, I was like, Oh dang, that was kind of interesting. You know, Cause at home, if you give up a hit, your, your crowd doesn't go too crazy. Right. It's kind of calmer, but on the road, there's like this, projection of light music and sound that's just concert level at you and it's like oh my goodness like it's you know they love a good snare drum down there you know and so they'll the, they bring they bring a full band above you know we had a full band right above our dugout it was crazy it's probably yeah, like the, a i don't know why I thought tuba. that's the last that's the last thing that's playing yeah. at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny definitely not final countdown there but no yeah. it's, it was you know each i i can see 
the more we study this game and the more I'm listening to some of these people talk, it's, I like to boil it down to comfort. You know, if, if you can be comfortable in, in any scenario, then you can really allow yourself to be, you know, athletic and focused and clear. And when you, when you focus too much on the, on the eyeballs or your coach or the umpire, or, you know, you, you, you can literally name any, any distraction of whatever, um, you know, it can really yip you up. You know, I, I remember being a little yipped up in college my first year at, at my four-year university because my parents would sit directly behind the umpire. You know, in Division two school, there's 14 parents there. That's it. That's, that's pretty much your crowd. Maybe a couple girlfriends, you know. But my dad would sit with his camera, like his video camera and then his point-and-shoot camera, and they would be like there right behind it and my mom waved at me and i'm like what are we doing like have some feel mom figure it out like no and so like i would pull my hat down really low and try to stay locked in you know but you can hear your mom and dad and you know 14 people in a beautiful ballpark might as well be an amphitheater at that point you know <laughs> and so uh you know it just i just remember struggling with that a little bit and like having to talk to my parents and be like can you move not sit right there or go higher because you're literally over when the umpire squats down you're the first thing i see that's pretty much what happens yeah so and i think it's, that it's, well i just think what is so common and um everybody is guilty of this right is that you know we we just we too often assume that you know people are going to experience things similar to the way that we experience them you know so it's like yeah um I don't want to repeat it. I had, I had more of an idea of that, but yeah, it's just, it's so interesting to try to figure out how can you get, how can you give kids a better chance, right? You saw oh, comfort. You talked about comfort, right? Okay. So um, one of the things that I've learned is um, about, oh shoot. What the heck is it? I have, I'm in, oh, attachment style. So there's like secure, anxious, and then one or two more. Um, it's pretty, pretty broad, like 60, 55% of people are secure attached. And then like 20% are anxious and then 20% or something else. And then there's like a 5% um, <clears throat> that isn't, that is not very good at all, where it's like the worst of all the worlds. Um, but the point is, is that then there is a learned attachment, right? So I can be, so I'm anxious attachment. And then, but I can be like learned uh, secure. And I think that's what you're alluding to in that being comfortable because you can't just be comfortable, right? Because you have to have coping mechanisms that are healthy. And I don't even like to say coping mechanisms. You have to have strategies to like respond to some of these things the way that your body does in a way that works for you. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't mean to say this in like, a, you don't know what you're saying, John. It's just like the other, yesterday you said like, sometimes you just gotta be a robot. And I'm like, and that's when I, you know, started thinking more about this is like that, totally know what you mean, right? The communication is there. I, I totally know what that means because I've been around John so much, but I also am like, well, what if we could find a better way for him to say that to me? And when he, so when he goes, Cass needs to be a robot right now, right? Is there a version of that in my vocabulary that resonates more with how I experience my world where John can say something different, but in his head, he's like, I'm just saying the same thing, but I'm saying it in Cass's language. And um, I think this is where it can get Sunday really Sunday cool. afternoon, OO count, 
first pitch banger. What is that? <laughs> Execute. That's your mental state. That's what I say when you are being a robot. Oh, oh, count. Big righty. Yeah. Beautiful Sunday afternoon. First pitch banger. Sure, sure. But it would be. And but, but again, but again, this is where you know part of my personality is saying I want to give you the permission to do it and then go. Um, I also have learned too, and and I've talked to you a little bit about this, John. Um, just how important it is for me to feel heard, you know. And so once I feel heard, it's game over. Like you, you can say whatever you want to me. Like you get to do. You can, you can, you can tell me that I'm the dumbest person that you've ever met. Like, as long as you let me, um, yeah, as long as you let me be heard. And, and so if you know that about me, right, you can just let me kind of get my things off my chest and then tell me all of the things. And, and that's, that's a very helpful thing to know for about me. Right. And once you get past that point and <laughs> I say this, I'm laughing because John and I work so freaking hard that it's, I don't know that John's seen you like chill out but there's just like, there's so much to do. And, and, but there are parts of my life where I definitely do not want that, you know, um, like the, the part of me that loves to fish, you know, and that's the part that, you know, pe- a lot of people don't get to see that part of my personality and that's okay. But as a professional, I want to learn how to draw those things out of me. And, you know, I think about, uh, so let, let's, I'm going to use the, the fishing thing as the metaphor here. Um, so most people don't like to, John doesn't like to fish. I don't know if nobody cares to know that, but John does not want to go fishing with me. And the thing that I always tell people is that the cool thing about fishing is that you, I've only had like, you know, a handful of like awesome days, right? So I've, I grew up on a lake, been, you know, fished thousands of times, literally thousands and thousands of times. And I bet you, I have like 20 to 30 days that were just like, damn, couldn't stop catching fish. And it was just like perfect everything the whole bit. And, and so you're, what are you doing? You're fishing most of the time and not having success most of the time. So what do you have to do that? You have to take things into perspective. You have to look around and realize that like you're floating on the water and you're just like, it's so beautiful, right? There's just so many things that are surreal Mm -hmm. about the experience that, you end up appreciating almost everything else more than you appreciate the actual catch, right? And then the actual catch is just like cherry on top. Um, and so the ultimate um, experience with this was um, my best friend, one of my best friends, Lincoln. Um, he had fished a little bit growing up, but then like um, really started fishing a lot more once he got out of college. And so we started going out once I bought my boat and we just didn't have good luck. You know, I'd be like, man, I'm just killing it out on prior Lake. Come out and join me. And he'd come out and we'd catch fish, but it just, it was, we never had that good day. Uh, so the June or the May before I moved here. So May of 2018, Lincoln and I went out. If you want to go on my personal page, CK soda, if you could scroll down, he's wearing a purple shirt. Um, we caught 30, 30 fish. I want to say 30 fish in like three hours and they were all huge. Like we did not catch a small fish all day. And, um, um, it was, the water was so clear. I bet you we saw three, 400 fish. It was crazy how many fish were active the day before I went fishing. I caught like two fish the day after I went fishing with him. I caught like one. I'm not kidding and use the same thing fish in the same spot and it's just like 
it is so unbelievably weird how my behavior isn't changing and it and the fish is it's completely com- completely unpredictable um and and so anyway um I'll wrap it up with this. This is a great follow. Nobody in SoCal knows this. If you are an outdoors person and you want to follow somebody who is really interesting and maybe good looking, Natty Up North is a great follow. She has a great YouTube channel. She catches um, ginormous muskie. And and this was kind of triggered the other day because I want to I say it right. It's It's just the whole idea of the, the best, you know, there's two different kinds of fishermen, um, you know, why do I have such bad luck? And like, or the, it's about to happen. You know, you can either have that like, oh, what a crappy day or uh, it could be this cast. It could be this cast. And that's really what the best fishermen do. Um, gosh. Yeah. Anyway, I'll leave it at, I'll leave it at that. I was thinking about Kevin Van Dam because that dude's the greatest of all time. And man, he's won tournaments in like the last 30 minutes. Like, can you imagine like, being not even in it and then just catching the biggest fish of your life right before you come in. I mean, that's the same thing as like, we're down and I hit a grand slam off the best pitcher in the game. Like that's what these things are like. And, and yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting. I don't know where else. That I'm is, that is that. really interesting. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's just, you're just talking about people who uh, compete in, in greatness. You know I mean? It's, it's the same thing you and I study. You know, and, the, and the perspective I'm, and like being able to chill and like understand that, yeah, you, you literally have no control, right? Where even on the mound, we have so much control on the mound, right? And mm-hmm. so when we get in these situations where we do not have control, right, it can, it can take us totally out of our comfort zone, right? And so when we yeah. have these, when I, you know, I'm just, I'm fortunate to have some of that perspective of <laughs> sometimes you just got to feel like this, you know? What's up, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. He never right. does that. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. That is funny. All right. Well, you know, you want to say anything else? Uh, I feel like no, it's Ferber getting I, closer. Uh, maybe. I, I haven't heard anything. I mean, it's only been 30 minutes or so, but we should be getting close. Okay. Um, it's 842. Yeah, so we uh, – have you seen the um, Michael Jordan – I'm sorry, the – the bulls from the nines. Did you finish that up yet or anything? I haven't even started it. Tell me about it. But I want to say one thing for, for clarification, the Minnesota in me. Okay. You miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. I looked that up last night because people are attributing it to Michael Jordan and it was totally Wayne Gretzky. But then the argument is like, well, it definitely was neither of them. And that we just like projected these things onto the greatest athletes of all time. So anyway, I thought that was funny. Wayne Gretzky wrote the great one. People in SoCal don't don't get it. Tell me about the Michael Jordan thing. <laughs> um, well, it's uh, you know I, I've done a lot of research on him um, because he was one of the first people when I looked at um, you know back when back when I broke my elbow and I just couldn't do anything but work rehab and like just surf the internet. Um, I just decided to like start researching some of these athletes that were the best. I started off with pitchers and then I started venturing out to like quarterbacks and then basketball and then golf. And I started looking at like Tiger Woods and then I I started looking and seeing some correlations as far as 
you know, these, these guys have these catalyst moments that drive them. And then, um, the thing that I found super interesting about Jordan, like the big day of fishing. Yeah. Like the big day of fishing. Seriously. It's same. Yeah. Well, Jordan would create these things in his mind. Um, and it's crazy. And, and so what was really cool through the entire series is that they would interview some of these players and be like, I never said that. Cause like he would create something and like all of a sudden it'd be like, Oh, okay. Patrick. Oh, Patrick Ewing is the MVP. Oh, you, you didn't think that. Oh, okay. I'll just go embarrass the MVP. That's what I'm going to do. Like he would just create this thing in his mind and then attack it. And it was funny, just the interviews by all these guys um, that would defend him or whatever and try to stand up to him. And it was uh, Reggie Miller even talks about it, that like, you know, Reggie was not going to back down from Jordan. And then he said something to Jordan. Also, Jordan, like, went off and scored, like, 65 points. And so he was constantly just lurking and looking for some level of motivation to, like, just absolutely get into that zone. And he learned how to get there. So, you know, I that idea um, is super extreme, I think. But I feel like that's kind of where Max Scherzer goes on the mound. He goes to that disrespect land, and and I don't remember who said it, but disrespect's like one of the number one motivators, and and like I, I resonate with that a lot because that's you want to know, you know what it is, man. If okay, so one of the most powerful um, emotions that you can feel is disgust, and so if you can put your brain in like this team is disgusting, you will do. The, the most ne- the most crazy atrocities that have ever happened to the human race are fueled on disgust. So if you want to mess hmm. somebody up, find a way to Michael Jordan yourself into disgust and you'll destroy them. I promise. <laughs> yeah. I, listen, I, I, it's one of my favorite things is to like be doubted. You know, it's kind of like how Dude. I learned how to yeah. do it, you know? And I remember, I remember like trying to win that job in Mochi's and, and um, I threw a perfect spring training. Um, and it was primarily because there were these two other Cuban guys, a righty and a lefty, and we knew we were going for one job. And there were like 10 pitchers to start. And it was a four-week process. And every day was just an absolute monster grind. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this, about one of the lefties. One of the lefty uh, Cuban guys, we would do – dude. Some of the stuff, the conditioning stuff we did in Mochi's was just like, all right, okay, fine, let's do it, right? We were doing timed laps uh, in like 100 degree heat with humidity in Mochi's. And I remember like, t- Makes sense. you know, I think we had like three groups, right? And and uh, we're, go- we're going, we take off and I hear this heavy sound and I turn around and the Cuban guy behind me did not change shoes. He kept his high top Harachis with bright green and yellow on, and he clogged all around the field the whole time. And I remember looking at him, and I was like, "Bro, you gonna change your shoes?" And he's like, "He's like, no, Poppy, I'm faster than these." I'm like, "All right, whatever, dude." And I mean, he just boom, 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 boom. You know, he was a you know heavy set lefty, but I mean, that guy was. I'll never forget that dude. That was a different human. He uh. Another funny story about him was he was my neighbor in the hotel we stayed in. And so when we started the season, they kept two guys, two imports on. 
very important that maybe had a uh, hamstring issue and another pitcher they wanted to keep on backup just in case, uh, you know, because it's hard to get people to that to that town for the game one time for the next game. So if somebody goes down, then they come do like the uh, phantom BL thing and flip people up and down off of it. So, but I remember, I remember coming home from a game. We won a game, and he had a party next door, and just just strong house music till I don't know. 2 p.m. and the manager yeah no no 2 p.m. bro like all the way through the night into the next day and our manager was was staying in the floor below him and he didn't know and then so was like the owner in the family of the hotel so at like 2 p.m. basically we're about to leave to go to early work or I think I've already left um yeah I'd already left and and so our manager came to me directly from early work and was like how you have that neighbor? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And this is Luis Soho. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, that guy's music crazy all night long. And, and you're his next door neighbor. You didn't go bang on his door telling him you're quiet. And I go, honestly, I didn't. I, I don't remember what I was doing, but I, like, I didn't hear it at all. It was like there's weird, there was like multiple doors. And then like I just shut the door, turned the TV on. It wasn't that bad. So, but he, so he ended up making the guy um, throw a bullpen with, maximum music at the at the stadium on and was just roasting the guy through the whole bullpen <laughs> and he's like how you like it huh how you like it like and, i mean and the guy threw an okay pen but i mean it yeah. was he was going off and i was like dude this guy's like 14 year big leaguer with the yankees and he's going off on this guy in the bullpen it was crazy do you remember me telling you um when i tore my ucl and i couldn't tell verdugo you know, do you know this story? So long story short, I right before our spring trip, my sophomore year, like literally like four days before, um, maybe like a week before, I thought I tore my UCL. Or like I thought something wasn't right. And then the pen, like literally my pen before the, the trip, like, yep, just tore my UCL. And but I never had elbow pain in my entire life. I always had shoulder issues. And so and then my roommate in college didn't bring me to the airport on time. So I got suspended for the first two games of the trip. And by the third game, um, I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to pitch, and, but I, I hurt really bad. And so I kind of like did my whole warm up. I had an assistant coach convince me that I was the starting pitcher. It was a weird thing. And I wasn't, and I should have known that I wasn't. Um, but anyway, so my arm was like a 10 out of 10 pain, but I'm sitting in the dugout. We give up like eight in two. And I remember it, our, our, our leadoff hitter was the one uh, was the best player in the country at the time. And he hit a leadoff bomb. And then we ended up losing like 20 to one. And so it's like eight to one, 10 to one or something. And he looks at me, he's like, Cass, you want to pitch? I'm like, nope. <laughs> 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 of course I want to, but I didn't know how to say like, I'm dying. Right. I can't, I didn't yeah. know how to say, I was so scared of him that I couldn't tell him and um and nobody knew i didn't tell anybody because i didn't want to tell somebody then that they would find out that my arm is hurt right and so he just throws his clipboard on the ground and goes to the bullpen and starts catching pens from position players to put in the game <laughs> the head coach wow. head coach wow. in the bullpen catching flags like hilarious not normal guys not normal yeah. head coaches don't normally catch bullpens psychological warfare right there but 
I've got I've got too many uh, stories that I can't tell on air about my college coaches. <laughs> Um, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll say this though. Um, I think tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow we have Doug Martin on, which was my pitching coach. Uh, my right. very not, first, not the hamster, not the hamster muscle. The other one. Yeah. Yes. Doug Martin from Northwest Florida state and North, what is Northwest Florida. Uh, you know who the nice hamster world. muscle is, right? Yeah. Doug Martin. Okay. Just making, sure, just making sure. Just making yeah, sure. sure. I know you're all fantasy footballed out. So fantasy footballed out. But uh, um, I was supposed remember to when have... you drafted my team for me. Remember that, dude. Remember that. Remember when you, remember when you couldn't draft your own team. Like whose fault is this? Really, let's go. Well, well, see, I, I was in the two leagues that I was in. Cats. Here's my point. The league that I drafted in won. The league. Oh, sweet, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, what? sometimes what? I, sometimes I don't Champion. do it right. You know. We had some Champion. really bad luck. We had some dude. Fantasy football is such a sh- is such a crapshoot. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I missed on like I missed on two of the first three picks. Like sometimes you get unlucky. Sometimes oh, sometimes oh, you draft you draft out. Larry Johnson and he he goes down right away. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Sometimes and sometimes, sometimes you, you draft Leo Levon Bell and he doesn't even Le'Veon, play. Yeah, Leon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this is my first fantasy football season ever. Was my junior year of high school. And um, you've already heard me talk about fishing. So I didn't, I lived in the middle of nowhere. We didn't have, we had two stations until like my senior year of high school. And um, so I didn't know anything about sports. Like I didn't ever watch sports. I played all of them, didn't know anything about professional sports. And all I knew was when I played Madden with my friend, John, that um, my other friend, John, without an H, by the way, um, he, I would always be the Colts and Peyton Manning because he was the best quarterback. And so guess who I drafted number one overall when I got the first pick in my first draft? Peyton Manning. Guess who went number two? LaDainian Tomlinson. Guess who won the league? That guy. But he actually didn't. I, I couldn't hear you because you took your AirPod out. Um, right? Can Say something. Sorry, Ferber called me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Should, should we jump off? I couldn't hear you. Oh, he's talking yeah, I needed Herbert. a mic, so. Oh, my bad. Um, anyway, I was talking that. What else could I bring up? Well, I will say, I'll put it at this, and then it sounds like we're going to be jumping off and j- jumping on with Jason Ferber. Um, and if not, that's that's cool too. But um, the yesterday, I was working with a seven-year-old, Thomas Souza. Um, he's a remote training client from out east. And um, so the, the two things with remote training are one, the um, like it's so, so much more challenging to convey a message when you don't have the, when your only ability is to use your words and then talk about how much more difficult that is with a seven-year-old who definitely doesn't want to sit and look at a, a screen. Um, you know, that's not his top priority. We'll put it that way. Anyway, um, so grip has been a huge thing that I've been working on. I'm going to use my AccuBall here. A shout out to AccuMobility, the best things that have ever happened to me in my entire life. Not really, but so what I was showing him, let's see here, is that if you go number four with your hand, okay, if you go like this, that puts the thumb underneath. And then if you go number three, you go like that. And then if we go number two, boom. So that's actually fundamentally how the hand positions itself to create strong positions. 
And so I, I don't know that, you know, this, these are one of those things that you never know how, you know, it's going to resonate with other people. But for me, it was such an aha moment because it gave me the ability to simplify um, some things that are actually pretty technical. Um, if it was so easy to grip the ball correctly, you'd see amateurs do it the same. Um, but also there's clearly a right way to do it because um, y we, you look at every big leaguer and all of them put their thumb underneath. So I was just really excited to be able to come across that idea is this is the idea, then this is the idea, then this is the idea. So is he good to go, John? Yeah, he's good to go. So we'll wrap this up. So guys, let me wrap up what I was saying. So I put a post on, I think my last two posts on my Instagram are on it. And I think one of them is just my hand. And if not, just reach out to me because that's, um, if, if that's not simple to you, I'd like to make it simple to you because um, if it's working for a seven-year-old, it should work for everybody. So that's it. Works for me. For I like the, the the ring the ring finger tuck underneath the thumb like you showed with uh, um, Scherzer is the is it's significant for me because um, with my uh, ulnar nerve surgery these two fingers I don't have the same motor control and so as soon as I tuck that under there with the thumb like now everything just feels way more secure and better. So, And I will say John's obviously a bigger human than me. So he's going underneath the ball. And I know I have this, but I actually, because my hands are so much smaller, I'm going to be leveraging my ring finger this way on the side of it, but it's on the bottom part. So the separation between my fingers, you know, it's always relative. And so I really noticed that when I did my curveball, that space got even bigger. And that just made me realize that this is the, the motion, the thumb. These are thumb-driven moves. So you get the thumb to reach across the hand, and that sets up all of your grips. And most players are making grips like this as opposed to making grips like that. So, all right, let's uh, you stay your rate, review, all that stuff, and then jump off. Yep. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to uh, just myself. So we can talk without anybody else. So appreciate it.